0: Well, thank you so much for tuning in to watch the message. Uh, it's good to see you. It is, oh my Actually, gosh. How I don't see you, but I'm pretending I'm seeing you. But here. they see us, yep. um, and we are so excited about this new series that we're in in 1 Corinthians. It's gonna be amazing. If you wanna know more details about that or about who we are as a church, please head to our church website. I think the, the link is gonna be here below in the description. Exactly just <laughs> like that, but we hope you enjoy the message. Amen. You can go ahead and take your seat. So glad that you are here uh, joining us today. Today we are launching a new teaching series on the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to be taking the next several months and walking through this fascinating and challenging and very relevant book in the Bible. Now, just a reminder, we've made available these really cool personal bible journals on this book so when you open it up on one side will be the passage and on the other side of each page is is space for you to take notes or to write pictures or to be creative or what is god saying to you and so at the end you can be you can purchase these for $5 at the info area Or the cafe, and at the end of our time through this book, you'll have a record of what God has been saying to you. And so these are $5, so we encourage you. We sold out last week, so we ordered more. All right, so what is it that makes the book of 1 Corinthians so challenging and yet so relevant? So let's start with the relevant question. What makes the book of 1 Corinthians so relevant to us today? Even though it was a letter written nearly 2,000 years ago, it was written to a group of Christ followers who were, who were living in a culture that has many similarities to our culture. The city of Corinth was located on an isthmus, which is a narrow stretch of land between two large bodies of water. So you can see on the map here where Corinth was. You can see how Corinth was really the main overland option for those who wanted to travel from Italy to Asia. So rather than sailing 700 miles around the southern part of Greece, ships would They would go into Corinth and then they would actually put the ships on rollers and they would walk the ship across the the land to get to the other side. So Corinth ended up becoming this very popular port for people from that whole region of the world. Now you can imagine the impact of that. It's a port city. So as a port and a trade center, Corinth was a city filled with great wealth. And also great poverty. People moved to Corinth to make money, sort of like l a or or New York. It was also a place where uh, Port City, there was a lot of prostitution. There was a lot of sexual immorality happening. It was sort of like the las Vegas of of that day. <clears throat> Corinth was also a multi-ethnic, multicultural city. So it was originally a Greek city, but then in 44 BC, it was overtaken by Rome and it became a Roman colony. However, it still maintains some of its Greek influences. So you have the Greek influences, you have the Roman influences, and then you had Jews that were living there and other immigrants who were living there, even some former slaves from Rome. So it really was a melting pot of different cultures. And with that, came the quest for power and control between groups and tribalism and factions, and so there was relational tension. So this was Corinth in the first century. Sounds kind of similar to uh, our situation, right? Where so much of our culture revolves around money and sex and one tribe exerting power over another tribe. So we learn in Acts chapter 18 that Paul visited Corinth and he stayed there about 18 months. And in that time, some people came to Christ. And so Paul established this multicultural, multi-ethnic church in the midst, right in the middle of this pagan city. <clears throat> and then he left to go on another missionary journey, he ended up in, in Ephesus a few le- years later. And so while Paul was ministering in Ephesus, he began hearing some credible information that things in the Corinthian church were not going well. And their problem, as we will see throughout this letter, was the same problem that we as Christ followers wrestle with today letting the values and the thinking and the behavior of the world shape our own values and thinking and behavior. So rather than the Corinthian church influencing its culture with the kingdom values of Jesus, it became influenced and shaped by the pagan, promiscuous, competitive, idolatrous culture they lived in. So as Paul begins to hear about some of these things going on to this congregation of probably 50 to 100 people, Paul fires off a letter that we don't have in our possession. And this letter from Paul to the Corinthian church, it prompts a response letter from them and with some questions. And so they send the letter back to the Apostle Paul with some questions. And so then Paul responds to their letter with the letter that we are exploring, what we call 1 Corinthians, even though technically it was his second letter to them. We know that from later in the book. There are places where he says, now with regard to your questions about whatever. So we know that's the case. And in this particular letter, Paul addresses the messiness of this church. He honestly and directly addresses some of these things that have been creeping into the lives of these followers of Jesus and the damage that this is causing. And many of them, many of the things he talks about in this letter are the same things that are creeping into our lives with some very negative consequences. So hopefully we see why this book why this letter is so relevant for us today and why God might want to use this particular book to speak into our lives today. Now, having said that, let me take a moment now and talk about the challenge of exploring this book. The the book of 1 Corinthians is a challenging book, not simply in terms of its content, and it is that, but also in terms of our interpreting it. See, here's what we often forget when reading the Bible 99% of the Bible was not written to us. This isn't 1st Greelytonians, okay? <clears throat> this is 1st Corinthians. This is a letter that was sent to someone else. So we are reading someone else's mail which is challenging in and of itself to read a letter that was actually sent to someone else and to try to figure out, okay, what was going on in there and what was going on with this person and we're, we're reading someone else's mail and we don't have, even have their letter of response and so we only have Paul's letter here. So that's in and of itself, it's challenging. Pick up some, a letter to someone and then try to figure out all the situations the circumstances going on there. That makes it challenging in and of itself, but not, then you add to that the fact that this was written two times thousand years ago to a group of people in a very different culture than ours, with a very different worldview than ours in terms of politics and religion and family relationships and traditions and cultural things and assumptions and about the world and all of that. And I'm probably going to say this multiple times in the next year, but we need to keep this in mind as we study this book. We we can't just pull out and just put our 21st century American lens on it. Oh yeah, we know it. We know what this means. We we can't do that because it wasn't written to 21st century America. Not even close. This was written to a group of people near, living 20 centuries ago in a culture that was very different than ours. So this is going to be challenging as we come to some very difficult passages to interpret, passages that talk about things like head covering for women or speaking in tongues or eating meat sacrificed to idols. You know, honestly, our teaching team spent about a month thinking and praying about whether or not this question of whether we should do a teaching series on this book. And finally, we were like, you know, this is going to be challenging, but we also know that this church is up for the challenge. We don't want to wade in the shallow end of the pool, right? We want God in all of the fullness of who he is. We want Jesus in the midst of our messiness, we want to hear God speak to us in the midst of a culture that is actively trying to seduce us from our loyalty and our allegiance to Jesus. So are you guys ready for this? Okay, all right, let's jump in. First Corinthians chapter one, verses one through nine. Let me read this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you. Because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So given the background I just shared a moment ago about how messed up this church is, can you believe how positive Paul is in how he begins this letter? How grace-filled he is, even though he is writing to a church that is an absolute mess. Now look, this would probably not be how I would start this letter if I were Paul, right? I would be like, hey guys, what are you thinking? How could you go so quickly drift from all the things that I taught you, get your act together or else I'm coming to visit in soon. Love, Alan. Okay, Um, but Paul is not like that. That's not how he starts this letter, even though he knows this church is a total mess. And this tells us something very important, not only about the apostle Paul's heart, it also tells us something very important about God's heart and about how transformation happens. See, how do messed up people like you and me ever experience real change? And what Paul clearly articulates in the initial part of this letter is that there really is only one answer to that question. Jesus. Guess how many times Paul says the name Jesus in the first nine verses that I just read? How many times? Nine times. (laughs) Nine times. This passage oozes Jesus. It is all about Jesus. This is where Paul begins. Not by focusing on the mess. He'll get there. He'll get to that. Paul begins by focusing on the master. Focusing on Jesus, because this is where real transformation in our lives happens. This is where it happens. The foundation for change in our lives is our relationship with Jesus. Now, at one level, that's sort of obvious. You know, when in church, if you don't know the answer to a question, Jesus is always a pretty safe guess. But Paul is not simply talking about Jesus in vague, kind of general terms. Now, in this passage, Paul specifically articulates three Jesus-centered realities that are the foundation for transformation in our lives. If we want to see change happen in our lives, these three Jesus-centered realities are the foundation for that, for how we grow spiritually. Reality number one, who you are in Christ who you are in Christ. After identifying himself as an apostle, the one sending the letter, along with Sosthenes, who most likely was the one writing the words down, Paul then says in verse two, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now notice how he addresses them. He doesn't simply say to the church in Corinth or to Fred and Ethel, or whatever. No, he says to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. This is amazing when you think about this. He is writing to a group of people who are st- a troop of Christ followers who are struggling with pride and with lust and with sexual immorality and with greed and with relational conflict. And he says to them, First thing he says, you are sanctified and called to be God's holy people. See, Paul is giving them and us an incredible vision for transformation. So often, our vision for transformation as Christians is pretty shallow. Don't do this, don't do that, and here are the sins to avoid. Look, if that's our vision for transformation, to stay away from certain behaviors, that's probably not going to be very impactful and it's certainly not very inspiring. If that's all Christianity is, is just to avoid some things, <laughs> not very inspiring. Paul's vision for transformation was so much more substantial than that. Paul's vision for our transformation, for people's transformation, was all about holiness. That's the vision he's given here. His vision for transformation was about holiness. Now that word, look, I know that word holiness, often is it's off-putting. It feels, we just don't know what to do with that word. It often has a kind of a legalistic, holier than that, you know, a legalistic rule focus kind of attached where we're not sure we even want that. You know what I mean? No, it just, no wonder it doesn't sound very appealing or very attainable. But look, there's another word, just because it's got a bunch of church baggage attached to it. But there's another word that I think helps encapsulate for our cultural moment the meaning and the heart of this word holy. It's the word whole, wholeness. To say that God is holy is this powerful description of his wholeness, his completeness, his perfection. There is nothing lacking or missing In his attributes, his love is a holy love. His mercy is a holy mercy. His ways are holy. See, God's vision for our transformation is that we would be whole. It's not about keeping a bunch of rules. No, holiness is about experiencing wholeness of being. These other things, greed or lust or pride, these things, they rob us of wholeness. This is not about, oh, I just broke some rule. No, these things make us less human. They, They diminish our experience as image bearers of God. And look, we all know this at an experiential level. I mean, think back to the last time you chose to engage in one of these things. and If you don't think you did, maybe you and I can talk later or whatever, but think about the last time you you, you, um, kind of um, engaged in pride or lust or greed. Just think about that. When was the last time? And here's the question. How did you feel afterwards? Did you feel whole or empty? The truth is, every one of us And every person on this planet ultimately longs for holiness. Every person longs for wholeness. So the question is, how do we achieve that? Well, the answer Paul gives is pretty amazing. You don't achieve it, you receive it. Look, Paul says, verse 2 again, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, to be in Christ means that we have entered into this relationship with Jesus based on the finished work of the cross and the crucifixion. Okay, that's what it means to be in Christ. So, those who are in Christ, Paul says, are sanctified. What does that mean? Well, to be sanctified means to be set apart for God's purposes. Now, obviously, these people are not living holy lives, but they are set apart for God's purposes. They are called to be whole, to be holy. See, Paul is giving them and us a vision for what God intends our lives to be. Those who are in Christ are called to be whole, This is our identity. This is how God sees us as His holy ones, as His people walking in wholeness, which is not the identity we often carry, is it? The the identity we often subconsciously carry is I'm a sinner saved by grace, I'm a worm that God rescued, I'm just a forgiven sinner who will always be a sinner. What an incredibly low bar! I mean, seriously, (laughs) what a low bar. If we deep down believe we are nothing more than sinners saved by grace, then sin becomes our expectation and our experience. But that's not the vision Paul offers us. That's not how God sees us. To the church in Corinth, sinners saved by grace. Nope, that's not how God sees us. God sees us as holy in Christ. We are whole in him. We are set apart. We are called to live in that wholeness. In fact, I want you to just engage a little bit here. Say these statements out loud with me here on the screen. All right, here we go. Say them out loud. I am whole in Christ. I am called to be holy. In Christ, this is who I am. See, these statements, they may have been hard to say. Look, these statements are identity statements. These These statements describe who we are. Listen very carefully. Our failures, your failures, my failures, our messes don't define us our struggles with a particular desire or sin or what they don't those things don't define us. Our addictions don't don't define us. Our struggles and addictions are not permanent boundaries that just sort of lock us in. No. In Christ, you are sanctified and called to be holy. That's who you are. That's the vision for transformation God has for you and me. That's the vision he wants us to be pursuing. All right, that's reality number one, who you are in Christ. Reality number two, what you have in Christ. What you have in Christ. See, God has not only given us a new identity, he has filled our storehouse with resources to help us live in the fullness of that identity. So what are some of these resources? Look at verse four. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Grace, God's grace is, it really is amazing. Amazing grace. God's grace, what is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. Years ago, I learned an acrostic, you may have learned this as well G R A C E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. It is God's abundant love and resources poured out upon us because of Christ, right? Not because we deserve it, it's just poured out upon us. I was in Portland for a prayer, kind of Holy Spirit prayer conference a few weeks ago, got in early Sunday morning, had Sunday afternoon free. Um, So I drove outside Portland to where they had these amazing waterfalls and I stood at the base of this waterfall and I'm watching as this water, falling water hits the surface. I'm close enough to actually feel it spraying on my face and splashing all of that. I mean, see, God's grace is like that. It is overflowing, it is powerful, it is abundant and it is ours It is ours. The question is, are we living in the transformative power of God's grace? And what does it even look like? Well, Paul identifies a few specific gifts of this grace. Verse 5, for in him, you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. What's so interesting here is that all the things that Paul mentions in that verse, their speech, their knowledge and their spiritual gifts. These are all the things that have been getting getting them into trouble. (laughs) And they're all things that they've been abusing. But Paul doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. See, Paul initially here affirms, he affirms these grace gifts that they have been enjoying. You know, we look, we may misuse God's grace and we need to be corrected, but that doesn't mean we are not to live every day in the resources of his grace. Just because we abused his grace, doesn't mean we are not to live in the abundant resources of his grace every day, the gifts of knowledge, the words of wisdom, the spiritual gifts that God continues to pour out in abundance in our lives because of his grace. You know, I wonder if we, like the Corinthians, need to be reminded of the abundance of resources, the waterfall of God's resources that have been given to us because of God's grace in Christ. Look, friends, we have everything we need. We have everything we need in Jesus to walk in wholeness, to experience transformation, we have a Spirit living in us, speaking knowledge and wisdom to us. We have certain spiritual gifts He has given to us and to others. We, these are all evidences of God's grace in our lives. Again, this question are we living in the waterfall of God's grace every day? Here's a church that is a total mess. And God is reminding them of the waterfall of God's grace that is theirs. It's incredible. It's incredible. Transformational resource number one, who you are in Christ. Transformational resource number two, what you have in Christ. Resource number three, where you are headed in Christ. Okay, so the first two resources have to do with present reality, our identity and the grace gifts that have been given to us. But this third one has to do with our future, it has to do with our destiny in Christ. Check out what Paul says next, verse seven. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul is very comfortable. and this, You'll see this throughout the whole New Testament in every book. The authors and people are very comfortable with this. Paul's very comfortable living in the dynamic tension of the now. And then not yet. See, there are things that we can experience now in terms of God's grace and deepening wholeness in Christ. But the reality is we also live in a fallen, broken world. And we still wrestle with our own brokenness and our own struggles. We're not in heaven yet. So as part of this journey from messiness to transformation... Paul wants to remind the Corinthians and us that our gaze not only needs to be on who we are in Christ and the resources we have and there's transformation that can happen here. Yes, yes. But our our gaze also needs to be forward. Fixing our hearts on the future hope when Jesus is revealed. Because at that moment, when Jesus is revealed, we will be fully transformed by him. (laughs) That's when the end result happens. We will be fully transformed by him. And we will experience, finally, we will experience the wholeness that God, the completeness, the wholeness that God designed for us to experience and that we ultimately long for. We long for that. Paul says in verse 8, you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that statement. What an amazing statement. Can you imagine that day? When you and I will be standing before Jesus, but instead of automatically thinking about all our messes and all our failures and all our screw-ups and all that, in that moment, we will not be ashamed. We will not feel unacceptable or unworthy or like we're not enough. We will be blameless, no condemnation, all because of Jesus. We will finally be whole. I mean, don't don't you long for that? Man, I do. No more failures, no more struggles, no more feelings of not enough. We will be whole and complete. We will be restored to God's original design for us. And here's the amazing thing that Paul drives home here. Jesus is taking on his shoulders the full responsibility for this. Jesus is taking on his shoulders, taking upon his shoulders the full responsibility for this. Look at what Paul says next in verse 8. That he, Jesus, will also keep you firm to the end. This phrase refers to an unwavering commitment on Jesus' part to get us to the finish line. He is taking that upon himself. He's going to get us to the finish line. Now, how can we know this is true? Well, look at what Paul says next, verse 9. God is faithful, He is faithful to keep His promises. He is faithful to present us blameless before God. He is faithful to work his will in our lives. Now, again, remember, I'm gonna keep going back to this. Paul is writing this to a church that was an absolute mess, to a church that was compromising their values, that was sleeping around, that was boasting, that was not loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. They were not living according to their identity. And yet Paul is affirming, he is affirming to them the hope that they have in Christ, that God is faithful. We will be made whole in him. Now, I really want us to hear this, not just in our head, but also in our hearts, because maybe there are some of you here today, I know there are some of you here today, who feel like a failure. Maybe it's a recent failure. Maybe, you, maybe it's a big fail. Whatever, and and you just maybe you feel like there's no hope for you. That you have just you have messed up one too many times with to this thing, and it just seems to have a power of you. Just you know, you've messed up one too many times. And because of that, you're just kind of always going to be relegated to, you know, the bench in terms of your relationship with God. You know, that's just how you feel, failure or whatever. That's just how you feel because of some things you struggle with. And I I just want you to hear Paul's words as if they are spoken to you. You are not a failure. You are sanctified. You are called to be whole. You are a recipient of God's abundant grace and resources, and God is still at work in you, promising to strengthen you and establish you and to one day present you whole and blameless. This isn't about your failures, this is about God's faithfulness. It's not about your failures. It's about God's faithfulness. God is faithful. And look where that faithfulness leads. Verse nine, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love that. that that's our ultimate calling. It's not just a calling to be whole. It's pretty cool. But that's not just, that is not just that. God is calling us into a friendship with Jesus. He's calling us into a relationship of friendship, of of fellowship, of intimacy with his son Jesus, just walking with him day by day, moment by moment, living in the fullness of his grace. We get off the path, guess what? We confess, we come right back, fullness of his grace, listening to his voice of wisdom, just experiencing the fullness of his love. That's what we're called to, it's relationship. This fellowship, this intimacy with Jesus Look, this is our pathway to transformation. You talk about getting from messiness to transformation. This is the pathway. This is the journey that we're on as we are beginning to walk through this letter of 1 Corinthians. More more than anything, Paul wants us to walk with Jesus, to be transformed by him. And here's what this is going to mean. And and we know this is coming. This is what it's going to mean. It's going to mean inviting Jesus into our messes. It's going to be inviting Jesus into our woundedness, into our pain, into our messes, into our sin, into our pride, into our bad decisions, into our sexuality, into our relationships. But it is so worth it because it means a greater experience of wholeness, a greater experience of who God designed us to be and who we ultimately long to be. You are sanctified in Jesus. You are called to be holy. You have full access to the fullness of God's grace, and you have a Savior who is faithful and who will get you to the finish line where you will fully experience life and wholeness in his presence. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we respond So I wanna lead us in a, a time of more than prayer here. You know, th- this is a time where we are creating space to invite the Holy Spirit to speak and to move in us. So often our lives are so busy we rarely take time to be still, to listen, to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment. It's a historic prayer. Church has prayed it for centuries. It's a prayer, come Holy Spirit. And I I just want to explain something before I pray that prayer. This is not about This is not a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to come live in us. He already does. If you're a Christ follower, he lives in you. But Scripture also, the Bible also talks about an experience. It uses words like filling of the Spirit. Well, filling implies there's something that could be filled more, right? It's 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 this dynamic experience of the Holy Spirit. When we say come, Holy Spirit, it's just more fill me, every part of me, do what you want to do in me. That's that's what this prayer is about. And so what we want to do is I'm gonna pray, come, Holy Spirit, and I invite you, if you're comfortable doing this, another ancient posture of prayer where <clears throat> Our hands are open, our palms are up. It's a posture of receiving. It's a physical posture that reflects a heart posture. And so I invite you to hold your hands out in front of you. And I'm going to pray in just a moment. Come Holy Spirit. And then we're just going to wait for 30 seconds, maybe a minute. We're just going to wait. And I want you to, in this space, just to open your heart afresh to whatever God would want to, the Spirit would want to do in you in response to his word to us. All right? So let's just close our eyes. <clears throat> Hands open, palms open, hearts open. And now we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come. We wait in silence. Just calm, Holy Spirit. And as you do this, just pay attention to any desires that are stirring in your heart for him or any whispers, any things he's whispering to your heart. As I was waiting on the Lord a little earlier, I, I did have a couple of things that <clears throat> I wanted to invite you to respond to. One, I think there are some of us here who we just feel like failures. It's very, dis- we're discouraged about it. We maybe feel hopeless about it. We feel ashamed or frustrated. And if that's you, you just feel like a failure. I, wanna, I want you to, as you're closing your eyes, I want you to imagine you're standing in the waterfall of God's grace and you have no umbrella. Because that's the picture I saw as I was praying for this service. Just you're standing in the waterfall of his grace and you're just letting it wash over you. He loves you. Just let it wash over you. And that waterfall is abundant. It never runs out. It never runs out. So, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts and lives to the fullness of your grace that is present tense, continually being poured out upon us. The second invitation that I really feel like the Lord was placing in my heart and as Michael and I were praying for the service and it's, I feel like the Lord wants to reignite a passion for holiness. And I think we, some of us, have lost a passion for wholeness and for holiness. So I'm gonna have you just close your eyes, and here's what I want you to do. I'm not gonna embarrass anyone or anything, but I I do sometimes feel like a step of faith just to say, yeah, Lord, that's me, is is, sometimes that's a a little bit of a, it, it ignites our faith. With our desire in our heart. And so I'm gonna ask you if that if you feel like that's you, just I invite you just to raise your hand. And I am mine's raised because I am longing for this in my own heart. But if this is a longing in your heart, would you just raise your hand? Jesus, you see our hearts, you see our hearts, you see our longings, Lord. Our hands raised here. We're saying, "God, yeah, Lord, we've kind of lost our passion for holiness. And sure, we can blame culture and all that stuff, but no, this, this we're owning this, and we long for our, this passion to be reignited. So Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Would you fill us afresh with a passion for holiness, a passion for wholeness, to be holy, to be whole like you are holy, God? Ignite that in us. Just come, Holy Spirit. If something that you just heard has inspired like a thought or um, an idea or a story that is bubbling up or if there's a desire to pray or uh, to interact, there's the opportunity to do that. You just go to cccgreeley.org and there's a button down there at the bottom that says chat and that there are people on the other side of that chat button who are excited to talk about the things mm-hmm. that God is doing? So please take advantage of that. Uh, so that being said, thank you for being here. It's an honor. Mm. Uh, go and be blessed.